0: Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it.
1: Not many journalists have the unique experience of reporting and anchoring in major news markets, being a national correspondent for a legacy network, and seamlessly being able to go into the world of digital streaming news. But Hannah you are one of those people, and I'm so excited to have you on Leave Your Mark. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Are you kidding? This is
2: my pleasure. I'm so flattered and thrilled to
1: be here with you. And I'm a huge fan of you, as you know. Oh, well, thank you. So for everyone listening, I mean, Hannah has covered several major stories, including 9-11 terrorist attack, Sandy Hook, and Parkland massacres, the Iran nuclear deal at the White House, along with interviewing entertainers and CEOs from around the world, Currently, she is the amazing host for Cheddar News and anchors Wake Up and Cheddar, highlighting the stories of female trailblazers in tech, finance, and entertainment. And she joined Cheddar in 2019 after working for five years as a national correspondent for CBS in New York. Hannah, you are one of the first Pakistani-American anchors in the US, which is amazing. Trailblazer Beyond. Thank you. You're an adjunct professor. So you're doing all the things, and I was losing my mind reading about the start of your career because, first of all, you grew up in Queens. I mean, this was not like a goal to go into television. Tell us how you sort of pivoted into this. Yeah, well, I'm first generation, so my parents
2: moved here right before I was born, and we were in lower-income housing in Queens, so not in a million years that I think I'd be on TV, my high school only had a 40% graduation rate. So just the fact that I graduated high school was huge. On top of that, being Pakistani, and it wasn't that long ago, this is probably the late 90s, no one looked like me on TV. So my family. They told me I was going to be a doctor. (laughs) So I did. I was pre-med. I paid for my own schooling. So I took advantage of the SUNY system. I went to University of Buffalo, which had a great engineering medical program. But then I started writing for the school paper as a hobby. And the next semester, I became feature editor of the school paper. The funny part is graduation was coming up. And two days before graduation, I got a job as a producer at a tiny little station in Watertown, New York. That's about eight hours from New York City. It's by Canada. So I think that's when my parents are like, all right, she has a job before graduation. Let's see how this goes. And
1: almost 20 plus years later, I'm still in news. Well, first of all, the best thing is like getting them off your back for a minute, right? You're like, okay, I have a job. I didn't even graduate yet. (laughs) So but you applied for this job. Like, obviously, you were interested in broadcast at that time. I applied as a producer because I got to be honest, I never in a million years thought I'd ever
2: be on air. It's not even something that occurred to me. I never saw anyone who looked like me, maybe Christian Alenpour. She was probably the closest I saw, and she was Middle Eastern. And I looked up to her, and Watertown forgets somebody who's Pakistani. There was no one in the market that was of color. All the reporters were white. And I was a producer for a few months, fresh out of school in June, September 11th. 2001, I was visiting my family in Queens. Of course, the terrorist attacks happened. And I grabbed my camcorder, because as you well know, there weren't phones, and just walked outside and started talking to people. And I started shooting it on my camcorder. And essentially, that's when my on-air career began. But Watertown, New York, it was a military town. So after 9-11, a lot of our soldiers, thank goodness for our soldiers and everything they do, were being deployed because of this. So there was a lot of ignorance. There was a lot of fear. So when I went back to Watertown, my news director kept me on air and he was getting a lot of emails and notes. Why are you putting a terrorist on air? My husband or wife is being deployed because of people like her. And I've said this before. It only takes one person to believe in you. That news director could have easily pulled me off. He's like, look, I hired you as a producer. You're a producer. He believed in me and my talent and he kept me on air, especially being 20 at the time. I probably wouldn't have fought him if he pulled me off. I'm like, okay, well, that was fun. And then I applied for another TV job. This time it was in Savannah, Georgia. I never left New York. I get out of the airport because I just read *The Midnight of Garden of Good and Evil and was obsessed with this city. (laughs) And I get out of the airport and the first bumper sticker I see is kill them all and let Allah sort them out never had I seen something like that. I had dealt with, you know, there were times I was doing a live shot in Watertown, New York, and people were driving by and they would say something derogatory. I was kind of used to that. But such a blatant sticker or note of hate is something I'd never seen before. But it goes back to as many people as there are that don't want you on TV or just don't want to see you in their lives, there's always a group of people that do and want to help. And I think it was always that camaraderie within newsrooms or news directors that helped me
1: stay on this career path. We need to back up for a second because I just can't believe you're recording this horrific experience day. I mean, every single New Yorker remembers where they were that day, right? I'm a New Yorker as well. And you have this footage and you obviously call your network and you say, I'm on the ground. I've recorded this. I am the on-air talent. Like, here it is, basically. I'm curious. Did they give you feedback? Maybe not that day, but later on, like, wow, you're you're actually really good at on-air. You know, you were behind the scenes. So it, I'm just curious if you got that feedback. It was such a
2: tiny market. I think they were just excited to have a national level story being
1: told from a local journalist in the market.
2: So I think it kind of just all fell into place for me.
1: Let's talk about your maiden last name. Let's talk about it. Um, it was Zulfikar,
2: very Pakistani. And every single newsroom I went to, and this is from the tiniest station in Watertown to a legacy network, they're like, you are not using Zulfikar. What does that mean? And then at the time, my news director, he's like, Daniels, let's just do Daniels. It's ambiguous enough." And that was what every newsroom wanted. They're like, Daniels, it's a good TV name, and a Daniels, even though there's no place that it was literally plucked out of a hat, but it was like, well, no one knows who you are. You could be Hispanic. You could be half African-American. And that's what they were going for. I would like to say, and I would like to think that is not the case anymore because now I see women in hijab. Now I see women and men with ethnic names. And I'm so proud to see that because just in 2001, which really, as you know, wasn't that long ago, was no, you are absolutely not using Zulfagar. How did that make you feel? I think I was so young, to be honest, I didn't think anything of it. And quite frankly, that's how it was around me. There were no real ethnic names anywhere that I could think of. So I'm like, all right, this is just with TV is. And I was born and raised here. So it's not like I had so much exposure to international television. You know, now I think it would make me upset. But at 20 years old, you're just happy to get your foot in the door.
1: Of course you are. But wait, so the parents, were they like, wait, so you're not going to be a doctor and now you're not using your name? I mean, did you have that conversation?
2: <laughs> it fail on two platforms, right? No, it really <laughs> upset my dad, especially because, you know, he wanted to show me off to his family in Pakistan. And they would be like, who's Daniels? And it was. Like, I was trying to get away from my culture and ethnicity, and I wasn't. But I think, again, I was young enough to agree to it. But, you know, the older, the parents are like, this isn't okay. But they were also happy that I was on air. And then soon after, not soon after, maybe eight years, I became the first Pakistani
1: anchor in the country, which... Major. You can't completely... can't complain. Forget Yeah, Yeah, completely. So when you think about your spidey sense of what is a story... Take us through your thought process of how you know you could be walking down the street in New York City and all of a sudden be like, "Wait, that's a story you're the same way, and you and I have talked about this we're storytellers. One
2: thing you learn is don't make the story about yourself, and I think we're seeing that change drastically, but that's still always in my mind and the reason I love being a reporter and at CBS, I was the breaking news correspondent is because I love being on the scene, whether it 's local or a national story, and being able to tell people what's going on, whether it's their town, their state, or their country. So I think it's just a part of taking a step back and just thinking, viewers are interested in this. Here's why. And you mentioned off the top, some of the most traumatic stories that I've covered, yeah. but it was one, not making it about me. And the most important thing, even more than not making it about the reporter is empathy for these people. I always know if I'm interviewing someone In one of those horrific stories that we mentioned, I'm talking to this person probably during the worst day of their life. So it's so easy to be a reporter and shove a mic in somebody's face. But I always took that step back. And for that reason, I think I did break a lot of stories or did get a lot of exclusives because I took my time. And I think people saw that I'm not bleed it leads kind of reporter. That's not me. I want to tell your story. I want to do it at your pace. And I will do it in my best ability to
1: storytell so people
2: can see it as well.
1: You know, you raise a great point about trust between your subject and who's reporting it. I think your ability to make people comfortable to want to share their story, especially in those kinds of situations that are very traumatic is an incredible skill. I'm sure a lot of these stories get to you personally. How do you manage to hold it together for the purpose of your role in this storytelling. I think Newtown was probably the toughest
2: story. I was the 11 pm anchor at the time and on the police scanner they just said a teacher shot their foot because now looking back they didn't want media from all over the tri-state showing up. And I remember my news director at the time's like this sounds weird just show up. Head to Sandy Hook. So we go me and my photographer were the first ones on the scene and we saw firefighters coming out vomiting and crying. And we had no idea what happened. They were so careful not to say anything on the scanner. And that's when I called my news director and I'm like, something's happened. We don't know what. Other local stations showed up. New York City showed up. National, Philadelphia. The shooting happened around eight. We didn't know what happened exactly inside that school until 1 p.m. So I think that story was the hardest and rightfully so. Newtown is a small, close-knit town. They never have media there. And a lot of the parents didn't want to talk to us. They were upset that we were on the property. But a lot of the parents till this day have become friends with me because I did wait that two weeks, that month, that three months. I kept that relationship going with them. Anytime, you know, when it's the anniversary or memorial, I was there, not with a camera, but I was forming these relationships because I truly did want them to tell their story. And even now when I do a story on gun reform, I call some of the Newtown parents, even now, 10 years later, and they'll come on my show to talk about gun control. I think it is building that relationship. You can't just tell a story, put it live on TV, especially in a situation like that, and never think about it again. On the other hand, Parkland was a little different because it was a high school you know, that had the shooting. High school students and their parents were a little bit more open about wanting to talk about it. They welcomed us with open arms because these kids were a little older. Unfortunately, they were used to this. They had drills. They've heard about it. They've heard other stories. So they were a little more, as sad as this is, used to the idea of a school shooting and wanted to talk about it. So it really depends on the story and the community, the ages. There's so many different factors that come into play.
1: Fascinating. You know, I never even thought about the idea of keeping those relationships like you really thread them along throughout the years. That's incredible your heart does break for them. I mean, yeah. my
2: son was that age at the time. My husband, well, he's my husband now. At the time, he was my boyfriend. He was Governor Malloy's spokesperson. While we were different capacities, he was seeing the body bags come out and the governor having to talk to these parents. I mean, it just took such a toll on everything in our lives, just the sadness of it all. That's one of the stories I can honestly say I had a hard time snapping out of, especially when you saw the pictures of those six and seven-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So terrible. It's still so hard to talk about.
1: All right. We're going to switch gears now because this is leave your mark freshly brewed career advice. And you had an incredible role at CBS for five years. Mm -hmm. What was the thought process for you in thinking about leaving an institution like CBS to essentially go to the future, right? our digital streaming. What went through your head?
2: First, I want to say my agent at the time was like, you were making the biggest mistake in your career. (laughs) Classic. While he's no longer my agent, he actually does send his clients here. I just want to kind of mention that. One, I realized no one was running home for the five or six o'clock news anymore. That's just not happening. We're not doing it. Our kids certainly aren't going to do it. Cheddar was brand new. You might remember, like no one even knew the name Cheddar. But the way it was explained to me is that millennials gen zers they're not running home for this we were started as a cnbc for millennials we watch cnbc i love that station it's so informative it gets a little dry so the whole method behind cheddar was you know what 25 year olds want to invest they want to know more but they want to make it more attainable. They want to understand it more. And when I had my audition here, the one thing they told me is like, please get rid of your anchor voice. I hate it. And at CBS, we were trained. We had voice coaches. We were told to speak a certain way. So just the fact that those things were somewhat eliminated, it made me realize that, look, this is where news is going That's all it was. The eyeballs were decreasing. They knew that. All the networks knew that. And this isn't just CBS. I learned so much from CBS. I work with legacy journalists who I've learned so much from. But we all knew people weren't watching the morning news or the evening news anymore. People want to see it on their phone. They want to watch it at their time. And depending on the generation or the demographic, they want to hear it in a certain way.
1: Let's talk about trust in news because... Obviously, TikTok as a platform has become a search engine, essentially, and (laughs) there are no guardrails around what people are saying, especially people with huge followings, and how people are taking that news reporting, if you will, as the truth. And as someone who does this for a living, how do you think about that? How do you combat that? Like, I have a 15-year-old daughter, I have an 18-year-old son, like, that's where they're getting their news from, right? So how do we get them to have the right news? It's such a
2: dangerous time because everybody, older people especially, are now all in their own echo chamber. They don't want to hear an opposing thought or a view. And I think that's what makes it so dangerous. Being at a younger network and you know, kids your age and my son, I have faith in them because I do think they are a lot more open-minded. If they're going on TikTok and hearing a certain right view or a left view, I think the younger generation is smart enough to be like, well, what does this side have to say? And I think our generation and the generations before that are still a little slow coming to that conclusion. But I think the next generation is just so much more open and more worldly than we were. So I think that is actually the benefit they have that we didn't have. I mean, we see it, you know, whether it's Fox or MSNBC, all news platforms with huge viewership numbers, but I think a lot of it is the echo chamber. TikTok, say what you want, but you will fall into an algorithm eventually. If you're smart, that will show you the other side.
1: That's true. But what's interesting also is how so many people on TikTok actually think they are news reporters.
2: That's a little frustrating for me because I talked about this before. That's when they make the story about themselves. Like some of these stories I see, it's like, well, I was standing here and I saw this. Like my training was like, no one cares what you saw. Tell me what this person saw when they were standing there. How does it affect this community and all these TikTok journalists? And there are some great ones out there, but a lot of them just make the story about themselves. And that drives me insane, but I don't see that changing. I don't. I don't know if you do. I don't see that changing. Now, a lot of interns or people are looking to get in the business. Like, what should I focus on? I'm like, I hate to say this. Social media. It does come down to that now. Some companies or newsrooms focus on a reporter's numbers. You know, how many people are following them? Some don't. But social media, you can't avoid it. You can hate social media. But if you want to be part of journalism, you're just going to have to accept it for better or worse.
1: I know. It's so true. But going back to the rule of don't make it about yourself, would you say that is like the number one rule in covering a story? That was what we learned. I mean, that was the basic rule. No one cares what you think. Keep your
2: opinions to yourself. But I think there's so many talking heads and so many opinionated shows right now that people love watching that when it comes to these newsrooms, they can't ignore the viewership numbers that are coming with these shows that are so opinion based. So I think they're trying to find that balance. And when these young reporters, whether on TikTok or trying to get in the business, are seeing the networks grapple with it themselves. And as much as I can say, don't make the story about yourself, some of these same TikTok reporters have two, three million followers. You know, they have triple the amount that I have. So it's a strategy that's working. I just wish people would take a step back. And realize that you're just the storyteller. And how lucky are we to be storytellers? We can't undermine that. We are so lucky to do the jobs that we do. So, just making it about yourself, as the kids say, just cringe to me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. So, your schedule, Hannah, <laughs> walk us through your schedule because it is crazy.
2: I get up at 3.30 a.m. every single day. By 5 o'clock, I'm in full makeup, a dress in heels. Uh, then me and the team, we have a morning meeting every morning where we're discussing the stories. And any of newsroom you're in, the morning show always develops the following day of news. You know, the morning show is the first one out there. So I go on air at 7 a.m. I'm on air from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Then I do another show, Chen Her typically, or the noon show. So I, I go home. I try to take a nap for an hour or two. For my mental being, I need to work out. And I'm not this huge exercise nut, but I just have to when you're going to bed at 6, 7 p.m. And you're getting up at 3.30 a.m. At CBS, though, I had to be at work. I was getting up at 11.30 p.m because I had to be at work at 1am. So that was even harder, I think. And I know, you know, the medical field, there's so many fields that deal with it. But um, yeah, you'll never get used to it. I remember working with a photographer, and I was getting up at 1130pm. I'm like, do you ever get used to it? And he'd been working 20 years, like never, not a day. Do you get used to your alarm ringing at 1130pm? But you're a mom. I am.
1: So how does that
2: all work together? I'm a kid. It actually works better because like tonight I can go to his doubleheader baseball game before when I was doing the 5 p.m. News. I couldn't do that. I mean, he's 13 and too cool for me to pick him up from school now, but I can't hang out with him after school. I can make dinner. There was times where I was coming home at six thirty, seven o'clock where none of that was happening. So I am a little sleep deprived, but I feel like I'm closer to him because of it. And I can go to all his events now. Which brings us to the fact that you don't drink coffee, which is, you know. I know, I know. But (laughs) Coca-Cola is much better.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Wait, so do you have normal hours on the weekends?
2: Your body is so adjusted. So if I'm not waking up at 3.30, I'm up by 5 a.m. I'll try to make myself go to bed, but it's almost impossible. And then on Sunday, you're not going to bed till 10
1: p.m. You know, it's a a vicious cycle. (laughs) It's a vicious cycle. We have a lot of the same friends. Yes. When we connected on Instagram, I was like, oh my God, we have so many of the same friends. Tell us a little bit about you personally and your friendships and your relationships inside and outside of your industry and how you really grow those and build those, especially given your job is very intense, but you still make time to have those types of important relationships.
2: I know you know this as well as I do because we've talked about it. We need that tribe. And we're all in different fields, but whether it's talking about our kids or a boss that we want to have a conversation with or whatever it is. We need that support system. We're always going to have good days and bad days. And just the fact that I have women and men that I can call you or I can be like, Hey, what do I do here? Our good friend, Kate Luzio, like, Hey, how do you deal with this management position? I think all of us have our expertise that whether it's being a mom or being a CEO or running a podcast, or running a media empire, I think all of us just bring our two cents and sometimes we just need someone to listen to.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's true. No, I love seeing all the connections. You know, I think great women who are like true friends surround themselves with the same type of women and then it just bubbles up and then you just really get a great group together. And all those stereotypes are gone. And I know you feel the same way. There's no jealousy. There's no competing. Not
2: at all. You need a friend where you can share your successes and failures with, and we've all gone through them. So just the fact that we can all get together and talk about it is key to our mental health
1: and just having a happy, joyful, fulfilling life. Absolutely. Okay, so you were amazing and helped get on brand out into the world on Cheddar. And one of the first questions in the book, as you know, is how would your colleagues describe you in three adjectives?
2: So this is more than three adjectives, but I'm going to tell a story first. Uh, We had to do something for social. So all the anchors, every single one was asked, who is the anchor you go to if you were in trouble? Every single one of them, every single one of them said me. Oh, that's so nice. So I would like to think trustworthy, reliable, and hardworking. Oh, amazing. That's so nice. Oh, I told my husband, I'm like, I think I want that part of my obit. Like how many, like every single anchor said Hannah and I wasn't around. Other people told me later on.
1: I actually think it needs to be a poll quote on LinkedIn. <laughs> because You know, it's so funny. I was talking the other day. I can't remember to who. And I was saying there's so many things that never get put on a resume that are so important like the ability to be that person that everyone wants to come to when you're in trouble, like that's a huge win. It's so telling. Like you actually don't need to know anything else.
2: My husband, who's never impressed, was even impressed by that.
1: <laughs> See? quote. Cool I'm telling you, put it in a nice font. Okay, so the ability to get up in front of a camera, read the teleprompter, but not read it as if you're reading it, and all the skills that go with the ability to hold your attention, still have conversations with who's in the room. How did you master that?
2: A lot of time. You don't want to see my first resume tape from Watertown New York with the disaster, <laughs> the blue eyeshadow. We can't even talk about it. But it really is knowing the story inside out. Even if it's a 30-second story that you're reading. Do your research. I'm not saying you have to read the nine articles out on the specific story, but you need to know your story. You need to bring that emotion into it. I had an anchor many, many years ago on top of her scripts. She wrote a happy face or a sad face. So she knew how to transition. So I think every anchor has their own way. I I will just look at a rundown straight through. I will know every single story. And I'm one of those people that, well, I can, you know, spending years as a field reporter also helped in this, but just looking at that, I'm very good at making those transitions. Like I'll just know there's a sad story coming out and you know what, whether it's extreme weather or, you know, something terrible that happened, I know it's affected people in that way. So it's just that empathy that comes in again. So read your scripts, guys. It's very important. Just don't go on TV cold because You and I will always be able to tell when an anchor goes on cold. Always. You can always tell.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And actually, I think the preparation is so incredibly important. How much time do you spend, though? Because you're going, like, back to back to back to back. So obviously, you're a very quick study when you're, like, reviewing scripts. I
2: have my husband hates this. I have alerts from every publication, not only in the country, but maybe internationally. So even over the weekend, I'll see certain stories and I'll know this is probably going to be our lead story. You know, um, last weekend, we had all those stories coming out of Texas. One on Saturday, the shooting. On Sunday, the guy who drove into migrants. And I knew that was going to be our lead story. So throughout the weekend, I just kept up to date with it. You'll know. You'll know your newsroom well enough to be like, okay, this is what we're probably going to talk about. We have an entertainment block. You know, if it's, if it's an entertainment story that's big enough, like the Tonys, for example, not going on air this year because of the writer's strike. I knew that was a story I was going to cover, or SNL writer strikes, whatever it was. You just you have to be curious about everything. I think that's a simpler way to say it. Just be curious about everything, because if you're not, you're not going to love news.
1: And do you actually decide all the stories that go on? It's a team effort.
2: This morning, in fact, we were leading with Title Forty Two. When I'm like, well, let's also throw in, I forgot what the story was, but I'm like, you know, let's keep title 42, but let's make this our second story. There's always a discussion, even at 3.34 in the morning. Sometimes when I wake up, I'll see slacks, like kind of, what do you think we should leave with? So it's definitely a discussion. And that's what you want because it's a room full of different opinions and different interests. And you want to know what everyone thinks. Some of my favorite times are in news meetings because it's just so interesting to see what people
1: think. I think it's also interesting to understand that you're getting slacks at 3.30. That's really, really early. (laughs) Very common on this shift. (laughs) Hannah, what else are you passionate about? Um, During the
2: pandemic, gardening. I got weirdly into gardening. I'm from Queens, New York. I'm sure that doesn't seem like a big deal, but I never had a backyard until five years ago. So now I grow tomatoes and lettuce and basil. I can't wait to go home and water my garden. And I don't know if you're the same way. I'm one of those people that like instant gratification. And I think yeah. news that's easy for us because we're turning stories daily. But it's taught me so much patience and just walking barefoot in my yard, in the grass. This experience is so new to me. I'm obsessed with it. I saw my first cucumber last year. I
1: almost <laughs> cried. <laughs> like it's one of those amazing miracles to me. Wait, I love this because like a couple years ago, I was like, I'm going to plant some flowers. Okay. And I go to the store, I buy the flowers, I buy all the equipment, I have the shovel, I've got the gloves, I've got everything. And then I start to actually dig up the holes. I'm like, this is exhausting. I can't do this. I stopped. I didn't do it. I didn't plant anything. <laughs> I had to hire someone. It's so hard. Digging is hard. That's the hardest part. I should
2: send you some of my videos. Between that and CrossFit, I think that's why I'm so in shape right
1: now. (laughs) Oh my God, it's insane. I never thought that would be me. And it's me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I get it. It's also probably just like, you know, becoming more adult as we go on and having different interests. I totally get it. Look at us adulting. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) So last question of the show. You've already been a trailblazer just by the nature of being a first, but how do you ultimately want to leave your mark? That's a great question.
2: There's so much more to go, but just the fact that I see so many more people look like me on air, which was never the case. I think that is a huge legacy maker in itself and people are being able to use their own names. I think that's huge. I would just love to be, described or remembered as, this sounds so cliche, but it's true, a fair and trusted, not even journalist, storyteller, a fair and trusted storyteller. I love that.
1: It is so great to have you on. I just, I love watching you and just keep doing what you're doing.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Leave Your Mark. If you want more career advice or tips on personal branding, Make sure to pick up a copy of my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception. Want to land your dream job or kill it in your career? Don't forget about my first book, Leave Your Mark. If you want me to speak at your company or at an offsite, or if you need consulting services, please go to alizalick.com. I would love to connect with you there and on social media. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.